Episode 5, Beggar's Benison. Please note that this episode is definitely not safe for work or younger ears. Have you heard of the secret Scottish society with penis-shaped drinking glasses and a wig made of mistress's pubic hair? Today we're talking about the most ancient and puissant order of the Beggar's Benison and Maryland. Hello and welcome to the fifth episode of Amorous Histories. I'm Annie Harrison, thank you for joining me and thank you to everyone who has supported me so far with social media follows, likes and shares. Hopefully you'll like what you hear and keep spreading the word. And if you haven't already found my social media pages, I am at Amorous Histories on Instagram and Facebook and at Amorous Hist Pod on Twitter. You can find the transcripts and sources for each episode at amorousshistoriespodcast.wordpress.com. And if you like your podcast available on YouTube, I've started uploading episodes to my channel, which is also called Arrows Histories. Now, it's taken me a couple of weeks to get around to recording this episode because I've been ill. And as you can probably hear, I still have a bit of a head cold. So please do excuse the voice and please excuse any cat meowing in the background. They think it's tea time, but it's not. I came across the subject of today's podcast whilst doing research for my MA dissertation. A large image of the group's infamous test platter featured on my topic proposal presentation, and a group of unsuspecting students and academics got an eyeful of illustrated penis as I changed the slide without warning them of the content. It was after a strange noise rippled around the room that I realised just how large the aforementioned illustrated penis was on the screen and that I probably should have told them beforehand what to expect. You live and you learn. Also, yes, this will be an image I post on my socials. You have been warned. After that riveting story, you all obviously want to stay tuned and learn more about the Beggar's Benison Club and that infamous test platter. So here we go. The most ancient and puissant order of the Beggars Benison and Maryland was formed in 1732 in the town of Anstruther in the East Nuke of Fife, Scotland. It was a secret all-male club dedicated to sexual freedom, with a bit of financial fiddling on the side. If you don't know what puissant means, because I didn't, it's a fancy word for power or influence. The club ran from 1836 and had offshoots in Glasgow, Edinburgh and even St Petersburg. If you've ever watched Outlander, you'll know that the 18th century was a pretty turbulent time for Scotland. So, now for a crash course in Jacobitism, from someone who is far from an expert. In 1668, King James II of England and Ireland, and the 7th of Scotland, a Catholic, caused widespread unrest by charging the seven bishops of the Church of England with seditious libel because they refused to read the Declaration of Indulgence. They were held in the Tower of London and eventually found not guilty. This was seen as an act of religious intolerance and a direct attack on the Church of England by the monarch. Unfortunately for James, his son was born whilst all of this was going on, leading to fears of a Catholic dynasty. In an attempt to prevent civil war, members of the English political elite invited leaders of the Dutch Republic, the Protestant William of Orange and his English wife Mary, 
to come and rule England, Ireland and Scotland. I just wanted to say you may hear this referred to as the glorious or bloodless revolution, but without going on too much of a tangent, it was far from either of those. As a consequence of William deposing James, tens of thousands of people died. There were particularly heavy losses in Scotland and Ireland due to the number of Jacobites loyal to James II in those countries. In Ireland, at the Battle of the Boyne, Williamites and Jacobites fought as well as destroying crops and livestock in the local area, impacting the people who lived there for decades to come. So the next time you hear the 1688 revolution referred to as glorious or bloodless, feel free to disagree and correct. Right, moving on. The Act of Union between England and Scotland was passed and implemented in 1707, meaning power moved from Edinburgh to Westminster, but Scottish and English law remained separate. Many Jacobites, who did not support the post-1688 monarchy of William and Mary, as it violated their belief of divine rule, were not overwhelmingly pleased with the Act of Union. Growing discontent led Jacobites to revolt in 1715, 1719 and 1745. There were two aborted French-backed invasion attempts in 1708 and 1744, as well as several other unsuccessful plots. The Battle of Culloden happened in April 1746 and was the conclusion of the 1745 uprising. Charles Edward, or Bonnie Prince Charlie, the grandson of the exiled James II, travelled over to Scotland from France to lead a Jacobite revolt and take the throne. After having some success in Scotland, the Jacobite army travelled down towards London, but turned back at Derby after finding that the English weren't really that up for joining their cause. The Jacobites retreated to the Scottish Highlands, followed by the British army, who slaughtered them at the Battle of Culloden. The ever-lovely British army then systematically hunted down Jacobite rebels who escaped and murdered them. Bonnie Prince Charlie spent a few months wandering around Scotland before eventually escaping back to France. As a result of the 1745 revolt, the British Parliament introduced the Act of Prescription in August 1746 in an attempt to eradicate the way of life for Scottish clans and to weaken any further rebellion attempts. I wanted to share this mini Jacobite history lesson because I think the context of Scotland at this time is important to bear in mind. Although the location of the original Beggar's Benison Club and its offshoots are all in the Scottish lowlands, which were more affluent and to some extent less affected by Jacobite plots, it was still a turbulent time for the country. The Order of the Beggar's Benison was conceived in Anstruther in 1732. The small coastal town of Anstruther in East Newark, Fife, was an important trading port in 18th century Scotland that had more than its fair share of smugglers. The club was made up of middle, upper-class men from all political parties and professions. They came together to read erotica, look at naked women, masturbate and generally think about sexy stuff. The surviving minutes, which are a copy of the originals that were destroyed in the 19th century, tell us that the club met twice a year, in February and November, Candlemas and St Andrew's Day respectively. The club had various naughty objects as well as the delightful motto May your prick and your purse never fail you, which supposedly comes from the beggar's blessing. May your purse never be tomb and your horn eye in bloom, which means may your purse never be empty and your penis always be in bloom. 
It would sound a lot better with a Scottish accent as well. This comes from the story of King James V of Scotland being carried across the Drill Burn, a river in Anstruther, by a poor woman when he was travelling around Scotland disguised as a piper, as you do. After James gave her money for her assistance, she gave him the beggar's blessing. The club's various, not very family-friendly objects include a punch bowl, medals, sashes, drinking glasses shaped like penises, wax seal stamps, a breath horn, port glasses, a snuff box, a wig box with a dubious backstory, a test platter and an annotated bible. Many of these objects are held in the collections at the University of St Andrews in Scotland. Last year they held an exhibition at the Wardlaw Museum called Sex as Subversion, Fantasy and Power, The Beggar's Benison Club. So the objects are all beautifully photographed, which as anyone who's ever done any historical research will know, that's a godsend. The majority of these items have some form of genitalia on them, and I'll share images on my socials if they don't get censored. I think my personal favourite is the pewter test platter illustrated with a purse hanging off an erect penis, framed by what is supposed to be a vagina. Inscriptions on the front of the platter read, Beggar's Benison and Struther, 1732, The Way of a Man with a Maid, and Test Platter. On the back, Success to the United States of America has been stamped in and someone has scratched in, schoolboy style, the following. NB, many a six inch long prick, in full bloom and stature of fiery begot in suitable cunt, dripping with juice, has been branded hereupon. Which is just lovely, isn't it? As for the wig box, that once contained a wig that was said to be made from the pubic hair of King Charles II's mistresses and was worn by the club's sovereign, John McNaughton, at meetings. For better or worse, that wig has been lost to history. When a new man joined the club, he had to undergo an initiation ceremony that sounds like something a bunch of private schoolboys would enjoy. The initiate would be sent to a separate room to give himself an erection and then would emerge to four puffs of a breath horn and place his genitals on the testing platter which was covered by a white cloth and was on a stool in the centre of the room. All of the existing members would then touch the initiate's penis with their own erection. The newbie would have to masturbate and fill a horn spoonful with semen to be admitted to the club. Successful applicants would have their health drunk too from the club's special port glasses bearing the society's insignia and then be given a sash and diploma and were told to read a sexy passage from the Song of Solomon from the Beggar's Benison Bible which is annotated and illustrated with raunchy drawings. Records kept from 1739 to 1823 tell us that new members were charged £3, 3 shillings for their initiation test and diploma, £1, 1 shilling for the medal they were required to wear at their Drill Castle headquarters on St Andrew's Day, as well as £1, 1 shilling for yearly membership. For my international listeners, if you don't know, St Andrew is the patron saint of Scotland. These costs were clearly designed to keep men on lower wages out of the club, because there is no way the average Scotsman could afford to pay £3, 3 shillings to wank onto a plate. I was curious what these costs would translate to, so I went to the National Archives currency converter. The total cost of being a new member was £5, 5 shillings. 
1740, that was 52 days wages for the average guild tradesman. Or it could have bought you one whole cow. In 2021, that was £694. And given the UK's current financial situation in February 2022, it would be even more. One year's membership at £1 one shilling would have been 10 days wages for a skilled tradesman in 1740 and £139 in today's money. Now, forgive me if my working class upbringing is showing, but that's a lot of money to be paying to masturbate and look at naked women. As well as supposedly platonic penis stroking, the club members enjoyed looking at the naked female form. They would pay local women £1 to lie on a bed and display themselves so that the men could simply look. Members were not allowed to touch and according to their records, at Candlemas 1735, one man was escorted out of the meeting for touching a woman on display that night. Now maybe I shouldn't comment because I'm not an 18th century Scotsman, but looking at a random naked woman laying spread out doesn't seem all that sexy. So was it an activity done out of curiosity about anatomy or were they saving a mental image for their next mutual masturbation session? The club's full name, Most Ancient and Puissant Order of the Beggars Benison and Maryland, references popular erotic works of the era that imagined the female body as a geographical location. Titles included Erotropolis, The Present State of Betty Land, published in 1684, probably by Charles Cotton, a new description of Maryland containing the topographical, geographical and natural history of that country, 1740, by Edmund Curl, who also created The Potent Ally, or Succours from Maryland, 1741, Maryland Displayed, 1741, and a set of maps entitled A Complete Set of Charts of the Coasts of Maryland, 1745. It's more than likely that these men had at least one copy of Curl's work between them, given its popularity and cheapness. Perhaps members of the Beggar's Benison saw themselves as visual explorers of Maryland, and that's why they hired local women to be looked at, but not to be touched. The influence of Maryland can also be seen in the language used in many Beggar's Benison documents. For example, the Code of Institutes, which was written in 1739, reads, Be it known to all mankind by this present constitution, that we whose names are hereunto annexed, have deliberately considered that as it can give offence to none, and as it is not inconsistent with the municipal law in any of his Britannic Majesty's dominions, or the general law of nations, to assume ourselves, and those who shall be found duly qualified and admitted as companions, as a collective body, the name and designation of the most ancient and puissant order of the Beggars Benison and Maryland, have resolved, convenated, and agreed to support, maintain, and defend each other in the protection of our most delightful territories in Maryland, and to extend the fair trade by national and legal entries, and to take all methods for the encouragement of those good people who shall deal therein, and to prevent as much as possible a preposterous and contraband trade too frequently practised, which by fatal experience tends to the discouragement and destruction of our loving subjects, the inhabitants of our said colonies, and for promoting the laudable purposes above mentioned, which are founded on the principles of universal benevolence, charity and humanity. 
it is expressly decreed that no person or persons whatsoever shall be invested with the order of knighthood aforesaid unless he or they are really actually and truly possessed of these qualities and are of undoubted worth, untainted honour, integrity and candour and detesting litigiosity neither shall any person be capable of being admitted that is convicted of cowardice or that is even suspected of being capable of ingratitude, malice, slander, defamation, or other infamous thing or action, and that the business of our order and society be carried on and conducted with the greater decency and regularity. And the diploma that members were given upon entry to the club says, by the supereminently beneficent and superlatively benevolent sovereign of the most ancient and most puissant order of the beggar's benison in Maryland in the year of his guardianship and that of the order 58 have nothing more sincerely at heart than the happiness and prosperity of our well-beloved subjects the inhabitants of our celebrated territories of Maryland and the encouraging of trade manufacture and agriculture in that delightful colony and whereas we are fully satisfied that has all manner of inclination as well as sufficient abilities and other necessary qualifications for promoting these noble and laudable purposes are willing that such bold adventurers should have all suitable encouragement we do hereby create admit and receive him a knight companion of the most ancient and most puissant order of the beggar's benison and maryland by the name style and title of to be used and enjoyed by him in all coming with our full powers and privileges of ingress, egress and regress from and to and from all the harbours, creeks, havens and commodious inlets upon the coasts of our said extensive territories at his pleasure and that without payment of tell, custom or any other taxes or imposition whatsoever. That was a mouthful. <laughs> Given their original location in the East Newark of Fife, many of the members were employed in the maritime industry, which I think is also clear from their choice of words in the Code of Institute. 32 members of the Beggars Benison signed that code. Men who were in the government, customs and excise service, merchants, businessmen, shipowners, and even the local landed gentry. As well as the original club in Anstruther, Beggars Benison also had offshoots in Edinburgh, Glasgow and St Petersburg. Some historians suggest that there may have also been clubs in India as well, given East Newark's connections with the East India Trading Company. In the 18th century, Scotland and Russia had a good working relationship, with many Russian imports going through the port at Anstruther. Elaine Fitzherbert, the British envoy extraordinary to the court of Catherine the Great from 1783 to 1787, owned a Beggar's Benison medal and had notes and letters on Beggar's Benison activities. Fitzherbert received a letter from Anstruther's John McNaughton declaring Sir William Porter as the Viceroy of the province of Maryland and instructions for toasts and the seating plan to be used at their meetings. Well, there we go. I finally got around to Beggar's Venison. As ever, I hope you learnt something new or got to think about a topic you're familiar with in a different light. If you want to learn more about the history of sex clubs, Evelyn Nord's The Hellfire Clubs, Sex, Satanism and Secret Societies was a really helpful resource for this episode and made me think about Beggar's Benison in a new way. 
If you like this episode, you can leave a little review or some stars on your podcast app or website. You should be able to find me wherever you get your podcasts, even YouTube. You can also follow my socials at Amorous Histories on Instagram and Facebook and at Amorous Pod on Twitter. Transcripts and sources are at amorousshistoriespodcast.wordpress.com. Please feel free to DM me or email me on amorousshistories at gmail.com if you have any questions or episode suggestions. See you next time. I feel like I need a better sign off. Um, how about like stay, stay sexy? <laughs> Should we go with that? Until next time, stay sexy. Stay sexy.